Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Here we are once again, and we are thrilled to have you with us. Don't know if this is your first time to tune in to our podcast or maybe your umpteenth time. We're just glad you're here, and we believe we can make a difference for you and in you. We want to walk beside you. We don't want to stand away. We want to be as close as you'll allow us to be. As always, we're looking at all things recovery. And our approach today is going to prove that because our guest is not someone with a personal past of addiction issues, but she's what we call today an adult child of an alcoholic. She had to deal with that battle. She's going to share some of her hurts from that. She's going to wrap this up with a story that that will stick with you. I can guarantee every moment of that. So Haley Ralston, welcome to Faith Thanks. in Your Recovery. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a thrill. We haven't connected in a while. We had some times together. We've talked, but how nice to see you face to face and have you here in the studio. Yeah, a lot a lot of things have happened since the last time I saw you. <laughs> awesome. We're looking forward to hearing what that is and just how life's going. Yeah. But let's back up. Uh, let's back up to those earlier days. Tell us about Tell us about Haley. We'll get into the rest of the story and the struggles, but help the folks to know more about you, who you are, where life is, where it came from. Yeah. So I am originally from Muncie. Um, I am an only child of my father, and I had a half-brother from my mom's side. Um, grew up in Muncie, uh, went to school there for a little while, then moved out to the country, kind of lived in the, the country life. And, um, my mom and dad were not together, uh, after I was about five years old, they split up. And so I lived in between my mom and dad's growing up and, um, I went to college at Ball State in Muncie and I currently live in Noblesville and I work as a, a tax accountant. Oh, and Carmel, so. Yeah, that's neat. So yeah. during those younger days, what were some of your interests, your hobbies? What were those things you like to spend time doing? Yeah, I spent a lot of summers playing softball. Um, I did some cheerleading, dance, um, volleyball. Um, when I lived in Muncie, I lived in a neighborhood, so I got to ride around with the kids and ride my bicycle and uh, do fun things like that, but... Um, outside of sports, I was a nerd, so I got straight A's through school. Uh, when I wasn't hanging out with my friends, I was studying, reading, doing schoolwork. I was a goody two shoes, my friend would my friends would say. So I remember uh, that <laughs> phrase from the day. Though there was a few generations between us, I think most folks know what that means. Yes, yeah, yeah. that was me. <laughs> okay, okay, so how. How was life? How would you grade life during your high school years? Tell us uh, tell us a little bit about some of the home dynamics and the challenges that were created by, uh, you know, your, 
your parental habits or the yeah. habits of your parents? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had great parents. Um, my dad, like I said, I was an only child, so he was my best friend. Um, we did all kinds of things together. I, I dealt with a lot of anxiety from when I started middle school through the end of high school. Um, I dealt with anxiety, panic attacks, things like that. A lot of it was from my home life. I didn't have a bad home life by any means, but having uh, two separate homes that you're growing up in is a little challenging, um, especially kind of doing it by myself. My brother was 15 years older than me, so I lived in between two homes kind of alone, and I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well in school, do well in sports, and and that caused some anxiety issues I had growing up. But um, outside of that, I mean, I, I, I was a strong kid and uh, dealt with a lot, but you probably would never know if you didn't really know me. So. What, what was the difference in home life A and home life B? Were there different expectations from being with mom or being with dad? There were. It was, it was different. So I was daddy's little girl. So uh, dad did whatever I wanted him to do. He was very, very tenderhearted, loving, um, compassionate. Uh, we spent a lot of quality time together. So we would spend a lot of time just him and I sitting in the living room talking, uh, doing, he played music. So I would listen to him play guitar. Um, it was, it was. What kind of music? What was he into? <laughs> oh, Pink Floyd, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. A lot of music that I had no interest in, uh, <laughs> still really don't. But uh, hearing the songs, I mean, I, in fact, I was just listening to some songs that he liked last night. Um, I don't personally like the music, but it, it reminds me of him, which Absolutely. which I love. So, so environment with him was, it was very calming. It was relaxing. It was um, loving. And we'll get into this later. But as I was in high school, middle school, um, college, he was dealing with addiction. So nighttime got a little uh, stressful for me being there because he would nod off and uh things like that. So that, that part was a little where the anxiety sure, came in. Sure. Um, mom, mom home was different. Uh, she's very, um, got to make sure your room's clean. Got to make sure your homework's done. Got to, you know, make sure uh, you're taking care of your responsibilities. And um, it was a lot more task oriented at my mom's and a lot less compassionate as like it was at my dad's. Uh, not to say my mom doesn't love me because sure. obviously she does. It's just she shows it in a different way. We all do, don't yeah. we? Yeah. Uh, you know, some of us are huggers. Some of us aren't. Some of us, a handshake's good enough. And I've heard <laughs> it said, you know, I love you. And I'll tell you when I stop loving you, so don't wonder why I didn't say I yeah. love you. That kind of thing. Yeah. So you experienced uh, a lot right there between the two. And I'm yeah. sure that required you a little change of your inner emotions to go from house A to house B. It did. And I had anxiety issues uh, stemming from both homes, but in different ways. So and the anxiety I dealt with at my mom's was, am I, am I doing enough? Am I, um, am I doing the right things? Am I staying out of the way enough? Am I doing 
enough chores. Um, a lot of it was, you know, am I doing enough? My dad, it was never that way. It was, it was, uh, whatever you're doing is enough. And so my dad, I got anxiety there from dealing with the way that he lived his life, less structure, nodding off at night, not very organized. Uh, my mom, she was very clean, organized, uh, task oriented. So it was completely different lives and uh, anxiety stemming from both. And that's obvious. I could see that you have to play one role here and the other role there. And yeah. One place enough is enough, and at the other, it doesn't seem like That's enough right. is enough. You kind of have to be two different kids. Yeah. yeah, and that had to be difficult. Yeah. How did that reflect on you at school? How did the other kids see you? Uh, what was the front that you showed them? Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, I mean, my friends would not know that I lived uh, the life that I did when I was at school. Like I said, I, I was a goody two-shoes. I made sure I got straight A's. I was very organized in my school. Um, I've learned in my adult life now that I tend to be really controlling because there was so much that was out of my control. Oh, yes. So in school, I was very controlling. I, I had planners, notepads of what I needed to get done, how I was going to do it, a plan. I mean, I was way ahead of it compared to other kids my age in high school because school was the one thing I had control over. I was smart. I was I was good with teachers. Teachers loved me. I was the teacher's pet. I didn't get in trouble because that was the one place school was that I had control of of everything on my own. So so my friends uh I was a goody two shoot. I didn't drink, I didn't party in school. My friends did cuz that, you know, that's kind of normal if you're a popular kid um, going to parties and stuff in high school, but that was not me. Okay. Okay. You touched lightly on the struggles your dad had mm -hmm. and some of those issues that created at home, in you, for you, around you. Tell us some more about that. And I know, you know, this isn't about bashing your dad, and I know you never have, but... You're honest yeah. with what you dealt with. And I'm sure there are those listeners out there who are where you have been and they need to hear somebody they can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so early on, uh, when I was a young kid, my dad, the first thing I remember is he um, he rode dirt bikes. So he got in a dirt bike accident and he hurt his shoulder. So he had to have surgery on his shoulder and with surgery comes pain pills. I was in elementary school at the time. So uh, for a couple of years, he was on pain pills. And I, you know, when you're in third, fourth grade, you don't know what's going on. You're just living your life as a kid. In fifth grade, I remember he went to Florida for a little while. And I had no idea why he went there. But I remember getting a letter from him saying, hey, Haley, you know, things are good down here in Florida. Um, I'm going to be so much better. I'm going to be able to play with you more and and things like that. And I didn't know what that meant. I just thought, OK, you know, he's taking a vacation in Florida. Like, good for you, Dad. Um, and then uh, in middle school, he fell on ice on a sidewalk and hurt his knee. So he had to get surgery again. 
And so he started taking pain pills again in middle school. At that point, I kind of understood a little more what was going on. And um, he got married and him and his wife were um, enablers of each other. And so when my dad was on pain pills from his knee surgery, it just kind of piled on and kept piling on. And um, he also drank growing up. Um, I don't remember it ever being an issue, but I remember when he started taking pain pills from his knee surgery that the pills and the drinking together, it started affecting him negatively. So not a good combination. Not a good combination. Not at all. And it just got worse and worse through high school. Um, He started ordering pills off the black market. When um, he passed away, I found tons of pills that he had bought overseas, uh, not through prescription. So it started as prescription from his knee surgery. And then when they stopped giving it to him, he found it other ways. Exactly. Um, So... So he did that um, up through, you know, close to the time that he passed away. And I spent a lot of time worrying about him. As I got older and I started to realize what was going on, I just was, I spent a lot of time and a lot of my anxiety in high school and college came from worrying about him. I just never knew when I was going to find him unconscious. He would, like I alluded to earlier, I would go spend time with him and at night he would start falling asleep in his chair and I'd be talking to him and I'd look over and he's nodding off. And, you know, I always thought it was just because he was tired. But as I got older, I I realized that he wasn't, he wasn't taking care of his body. Yes. And uh, so I'd look over and he'd be nodding off and um, there was a couple of times where he would be eating he fell asleep while he was eating and the food would just fall down his chest. And I knew that wasn't normal. Um, So seeing that was, was really hard growing up and uh, being an only child and a daddy's little girl growing up, I had a very tender spot to my dad. So seeing him that way was, was hard. I can't imagine what that was like. Did you have somebody you could talk to about it or did you have to internalize that? How were you dealing with it at that time? Yeah, so in high school, really, you know, it wasn't something I wanted to talk to people about. I didn't want people thinking that I had a life that was hard. On one hand, it's embarrassing when you're a teenager and you have parents and family members in addiction. It's not not something to be proud of it's not something you know I always wanted to be the kid that came from the family that was at all my sporting events that dropped me off at school every day that uh you know supported everything I did and was there for everything and I didn't have that and so I didn't want to acknowledge it to people outside of the people who knew that that's what I was living so I didn't talk to really any friends about it. So the really only person I talked to was my mom when I was talking to her about my dad and uh, her and my dad didn't have a good relationship. They did not talk from the time they split up till, you know, they'd never talked. So whenever I would talk to her about it, it would make her upset because she didn't want me to see those things. And so instead of having someone 
to be there to understand what I was going through. It was more of frustration from her. Um, and you know, and she did the best that she could. She, she, you know, like I said earlier, she was very like, all right, what are the facts? What are the, you know, no fluff. And so, uh, when I, you know, talking to her, it was, well, what are you going to do, Haley? You know, this is how he is. And that's just, you know, kind of what it's going to be. So I really didn't have anyone to lead me or guide me on how to deal with the situation. So it just kind of built up in me and I had a lot of worry and anxiety from it. That, that had to be a struggle and a half to say the least, to know that this isn't right, but not being able to release it to someone who could help you personally. Yeah. As you know, you couldn't change him, but you could only you know, change the way you were dealing with it. Right. What was a lights on moment for you? Or was there one where you said, this is what I have to do for Haley? Yeah. Um, well, my freshman year of high school, my mom and I were not getting along at all. You know, I was hormonal. I was 14 years old. I knew everything. Like I said, my mom and I were were a lot alike, and um, we butted heads quite a bit. And so I was like, okay, mom, bye. I'm going to go live with my dad. And so I went to live with my dad my freshman year of high school. Uh, living with him, I learned. So I lived with my mom through the week, and my dad, I would go every other weekend or so. Living with my dad was way different than going to my dad's on the weekends. I, I realized when I lived there... He is really in over his head. He is uh, he is not not doing right. And so I was there for probably six months or so. And I remember calling my mom and I was like, Mom, I want to come back. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, it was it was hard. I moved in and my dad changed. He was um, expecting me to take care of the house. He was um being a little being more needy than I remember when I was with him on the weekends and um, it wasn't the environment I thought I was coming into so after I lived with him I kind of realized okay uh, this is a this is a not a good road that he's down so then a a couple um, I don't know probably six months after I moved out I would go visit him. And since I lived with him, I had realized, you know, how he was becoming. So when I was visiting with him, my visits became different because I realized, you know, but there was before I lived with him and after I lived with him, my visits after I lived with him, I knew what was going on. So uh, there were some times I went over there and I said, dad, I can't do this anymore. I can't come over here and spend time with you while you're passing out on the couch. It's not enjoyable for me. I I can't be around it. It is stressing me out. It's giving me anxiety. And my, and my mom kind of told me that's what you're going to have to do. Cause if he doesn't see that he's losing you, uh, he's, he's going to keep doing what he's doing. No reason to change if there is no consequence. No. And I, you know, being daddy's girl, I, I was, I mean, I hate to say this. It's not because I'm proud of myself, but I was his purpose in life. You know, he worked at the Muncie Sanitary District and he loved his job, but it wasn't, he didn't find joy there. His marriage 
wasn't great. They were just cohabitating. And so I was his I was his purpose in life. Well, you were doing well in school. That's something he can be proud of. Uh, you were doing well socially. He could see a lot of things in you. He probably wished he could see in himself. But to look at you from his point of view, he may have even felt like he was doing okay because look at you. Yeah. But you were uh, you were letting him know that there's a line here and we're crossing that. Yep. And so how did you move forward from there? You confronted him in, it sounds like, increments, you know, different points, different times. Did you ever really just have a face-to-face, nose-to-nose, knee-to-knee kind of talk? I did, and I I remember it specifically. My mom drove me over there. Um, I must not have had my license yet, so maybe I was 15. And she drove me over there, and I... So I had, I had previously written him a letter and I think I still have it actually. Uh, it was probably like four pages long. I, I wrote him a letter. I mailed it to him. It basically was along the lines of you need help and I don't know what to do for you, but I can't be involved with, with it and uh, I'm over it type of thing. Um, and I never heard back from him after he, after I sent him that letter And I think I had called him on Father's Day or his birthday or something, and uh, he didn't answer me. So I had my mom drive me over there because I was like, he's not, he didn't respond to my letter. He's not answering my phone calls. And I thought I was going to go over there and I was going to find him dead on the ground. And uh, I walked in the house and sure enough, he's sitting on the couch watching TV and so I knocked on the door and I remember going in there. I mean, I can see it in my head right now. I walked in there and I sat down right in front of him on the couch and I, I kneeled down on the floor and I said, I sent you a letter. I called you on Father's Day and you never you never responded to me. I'm not going to live this life anymore. And if you don't figure it out, I will never talk to you again. And uh, probably some other choice words were said in there because I was hurt and I was frustrated and I grew up and in concerned, concerned, concerned. Uh, very concerned. I, I mean, I remember the whole ride over there. I was telling my mom, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to walk in and I'm going to find him dead on the floor. And, uh, cause I didn't trust his wife to take care of him. And, um, and so I was concerned. And then when I got over there and I saw that he was just sitting there watching TV, then I was mad. Because I was like, you have been putting me through some serious concern and anxiety of and for what? And so, yeah, I basically gave him an ultimatum. And I said, if you if you don't figure it out and get yourself some help, then I'm never talking to you again. So you made that confrontation very bluntly. Yeah. And needfully, I might say, on your behalf and for his sake. You know, it, it wasn't an attack. It was... I care, and I don't want you to see you go in this direction any farther than you have. You've already expressed that concern you had of finding him dead on the floor. Yeah, and uh, you know that had to be that had to be a feeling you had multiple times. Is this the last time? Oh, uh, this is. Uh, I have voicemails saved on my phone for probably over three or four years that I had accumulated. 
and I had saved them on my phone because I didn't know if that was going to be the last time he left me a voicemail. So I, I have four years of voicemail saved on my phone, uh, which it actually turned out to be really great. Uh, I actually, side note, for my wedding, on my wedding day, because he wasn't there, I was able to piece together his voicemails for our father-daughter dance. Wow. And play those at my wedding, so. Wow. Yeah, it was a. I can't imagine what that must have been like for anybody and everybody who knew any part of your story, and just by your dad being gone. Yeah. And we're going to talk about his his last uh, hours and day yeah. here in a little bit, but lead us on up into that, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'd given him that ultimatum and obviously, as you know, with addiction, that didn't change anything. I, I said, I, you know, I will never talk to you again if you don't fix it. I obviously didn't mean that. I loved him with my whole heart. He was my dad. We were so close. So was I as uh, faithful to spending time with him? No. Did I spend as much time and effort trying to call him after that? No. Um, but I didn't leave him in the dark. Um, I was still, you know, his child. and You did not abandon him. I didn't him. abandon him. You just him. had to step back. I had to threaten him. And, and I thought that that would work. Um, and it didn't. And so, you know, the last thing I could do was to pray about it. You know, I had been praying for him for years already, but after I gave him the ultimatum and realized this isn't going to change anything, I put my prayers into overdrive, right? So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and uh, I said, you know, Lord, I he can't live this way. I don't want to see him this way. Uh, can you please just take this addiction from him? Because, you know, at this time he was doing pills. He was an alcoholic. I mean, he was buying cases of like a case of beer a day and drinking that and taking pain pills and muscle relaxers. And I just knew one day this isn't this isn't going to end well. So, God, I need you to take this from him. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And let me let me interrupt you right there. Yeah. You're talking about all that time in prayer. Where was your anxiety at that time? Was it higher, higher, or had you come not to a point of wanting to lose your dad, not to a point of wanting to see him struggle, but maybe more acceptance than you'd ever had before of where he was? Yeah, um, I had kind of realized that this was how it was going to be. I let go of the, not concern, because I still wanted him to be good, but I let go of, I can't do anything to you fix let this. let go of the control yeah. that you hoped you could have yes. there as well. Is that accurate? Yes. After I gave him the ultimatum and I realized it didn't work, I let go of that. Okay. Um, so so I kept praying and I, um, I prayed for years, 10 years. And eventually one day it, my, my prayer was answered. <laughs> Why don't you share? Folks, this is Tinder. I've heard this. It's an incredible story, but uh, the God we serve is even more incredible. And this is beyond coincidence. This is this is a story unlike any I have ever heard before. Get close. Yeah. Listen in. Go ahead here, Haley. 
Uh, yeah. So like I said, I had prayed, uh, for 10 years and, um, actually a coworker of mine had been leading a better life, Brianna's hope chapter in Daleville. And I went to my dad one day with a pamphlet and information on this group. And, um, cause my coworker, you know, my coworkers kind of knew the situation a little bit. And I brought a pamphlet over to my dad and I said, Hey, um, Dad, there's this this recovery group going on in Daleville. It's five minutes from your house. It's faith based. It's not it's not Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's somewhere I I, I know the people leading it, and I think it's going to be a good place for you to go and 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 get to know people and talk to them. And I did I didn't think he was going to go. I mean, I've been praying for this man for ten years, and he hadn't done anything. So. I was like, you know what? I'm, I mean, I can try, but he's not going to go. A few weeks go by and I prayed for him and I said, you know, Lord, I, I think this is going to be a really good thing for him. I need him to go to this. And uh, sure as heck, he showed up to a meeting and I was stunned. I was like, he drove there and went to this by himself and uh, I didn't even have to take him. Uh, so... I was stunned and I was thrilled and uh, he loved it. He loved the group. And um, I actually went with him a couple of times because I wanted to be there for him. And there weren't a lot of people there that had people coming with them, but I was, I wanted to be there for him. I went to the meetings with him. Um, he probably went for uh, four, four months or so, probably. There was one um, really cool time I went with him to a meeting and uh, the leader of the group passed out these ropes to everyone. I still have the rope to this day, but. Let me share with you folks a little bit about what those ropes uh, were for. And that'll give uh, that'll give Haley a chance here to (laughs) regain a little composure, which is easily understood the tenderness of this. But those ropes, we actually took about a 12-inch piece and we cut it in two. What we did with that then was hold on to one of those pieces and give the second piece to someone who was a part of supporting us, encouraging us, helping us along. So go ahead, Haley. You, You were talking about having that rope. Yeah, so he uh, he got the rope and he pulled out a pocket knife and he cut it in half right there. And he, he said, I know who the other person's going to be that I give this rope to. And he gave it to me. And right there, I just thought, wow, he this whole time he actually listened to me. He actually, you know, knew I was there. And um you know, you you spend a lot of time and effort and energy praying for someone and 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 hoping that they can recover. And you just wonder, are they listening to me? Are they hearing me? And when he gave me the other piece of the rope, I thought, okay, he knows that I'm here for him, and I never I never gave up on him. So uh, that was so meaningful to me. And, and so I got that rope. And um, so I was encouraged by that. I thought, okay, you know, he, he's getting something from this. And um, so there was a, a day in, in February 2016 
that I um, got a call from my stepmom. I was um, I was interning at the accounting firm at this point, so I was in mid tax season, and I was at a client's office, and I got a call from my stepmom, and she said, "Hey, Haley, your dad is is actually going to rehab. He's on his way to rehab right now uh, in California." And I was like, what? Uh, I, I didn't even know he was thinking about going to rehab. I hadn't, he had not talked to me about this. You know, he, he'd been addicted for 10 years at this point, And I, I, uh, I, I never once heard him talk about go to rehab. So after he's been going to a better life for four or five months, all of a sudden here he is, he's going to rehab. I was like, okay all right, we are doing this, you know? And, uh, I, I, I didn't know what to say. And honestly, I'm still speechless thinking about it came out of nowhere after I had been praying for years and years. That was the nowhere, those prayers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It it came, it came from God, uh, answering my prayers after so long and not giving up. So I, uh, so it was February and, uh, I remember the first call I got from him at rehab was, um, Valentine's day is the first, uh, call I got from him. And I was at a client's again, I was still in tax season and, uh, I, I didn't answer. Thank goodness, because now I have a voicemail of this. Um, he called me and it was about a minute long and he said, Hey, Haley, um, it's your dad. Things are going wonderful. And uh, I can't wait to see you again. You know, keep in, keep in touch with Tracy, my stepmom. Keep in touch with her. And, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm doing great. And I hope you are too. And, you know, I love you and um, can't wait to see you again. And uh, it was it was uh, if you know someone in addiction, there is a voice, right? So I know his voice when he's on pills and when he's drinking. And his voice in this voicemail was something I had not heard in years. And the relief I felt was incredible because I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dad, my actual dad on this voicemail that I had not heard since I was a child. Hey, sweetheart, this is your dad. Hey, I got a chance to call you. Wanted to call and touch bases with you. Uh, tell you everything was okay. Wish you a uh, happy Valentine's Day. And I uh, wish I could be there and see you. But everything is going wonderful. And uh, things going to be really good. So... Uh, I don't. I don't know. I think Tracy's got a number that uh, you could try to call and check in on me uh, sometime. Uh, keep, keep in touch with her if you can in a little bit. And I appreciate that. And I love you so much, sweetheart. Thinking about you all the time. So uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye now. So I got that first call, uh, Valentine's Day, and then I hadn't heard from him. And for another week, uh, they wouldn't let you call people very often um, in rehab. So um, I heard from him one more time, talked to him for a couple of minutes and, you know, he everything was going great. So he was out there for one month and March uh, 13th, 
I had um, picked him up from the airport. Coming home. He was coming home. He had, he'd been there for a month, and looking back, it was this was a blessing. I mean, this day was a miracle. But my stepmom wasn't able to pick him up from the airport, so I did. You didn't have to. You got to. I got to. And, you know, little did I know how this day was going to end up, but um, it was a Sunday. So it was Sunday at like 4 a.m. His plane arrived. So I went to the airport. I had a big sign that said, welcome home, dad. <laughs> I so back up a little bit. I had mentioned this earlier, but he was not a he was not a clean, organized person. OK, he was he was a single man for a while. So he still lived that like single man life. And his house was a mess. It was dirty. It was um, untamed. And uh, about a week before he came home, I cleaned his whole house. I organized his whole house. I, I cleaned it and, um, I had this cork board that I put notes on it and it said, welcome home, dad. I had this little, um, paper with, you know, I'm so proud of you for doing this for yourself. And I had like a couple Bible verses and stuff. And I, I put together this music room. Cause like I'd mentioned earlier, music was so special yes. to him. And so I had all his guitars set up and I had his piano out and I just, I had sacred places for him to come home to. Because one thing I knew was if you left in one way, he's coming back a different person and I don't want him to come back to the same place. So I had his house all cleaned up and, and so I got to the airport and I have this welcome home dad sign and I see him coming down the escalator and I can still see him today. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I can still see him today coming down the escalator and uh, seeing him for the first time sober in 10 years. It was, um, it was in indescribable had to be hard to recognize that him yeah I, I i hadn't seen that man in my adult life um my adult self did not know my dad that way um so i see him coming down the escalator and of course you know a, a big hug and uh it was it was incredible it was um something I, I had never imagined. Uh, seeing him come down the escalator, I never thought that was going to happen. I thought he was going to live in addiction his whole life and end his life that way. Uh, so so that day, um, it turned out to be the biggest miracle from God that to this day, it's, uh, it's incredible. So we went to breakfast, we went to Cracker Barrel, we got breakfast that day. We uh, went went back to his house and he bawled like a baby because his house was clean. And he said, Haley, I was so worried and stressed about coming home to a dirty house because I knew that's how I left it. And I came here and you did this for me. You cleaned my whole house. and uh, This is the guy you gave the ultimatum to. And there yes. you are. That ultimatum was out of love and still in love. Absolutely. So, um, you know, he was, he was thrilled and I can still see him just bawling like a baby because I cleaned his house, you know. Um, but for him, that was so big because it was a weight lift on, weight lifted off his shoulders because 
uh, he knew that the person he left behind wasn't there anymore and he didn't want to come back to the same environment. So uh, we spent that day just hanging out on the couch like we used to when we were when I was young and he had set up plans to go play music with some of his friends later that week and he was calling old friends saying, hey, buddy, you know, let's get together sometime. And, you know, he was back in his clear mind. And uh, so seeing him function in that space was so cool. And so uh, and later that that night we had went to dinner. I mean, I spent from 4 a.m. until I think I left about 7 p.m. I spent that entire day with him and my stepmom was at work that day. So um, it was just him and I, and it was like the old days. We got to spend dinner. Maybe even better than the old days. Better than the old days. Sober and the clearness. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was inexplainable. So we got home from dinner, and uh, he was tired. He was in California for rehab for a month. So it's the time difference and the time change and everything, and. So I left and I went back home and um, to Indy where I was interning and um, I got back and I called him and I said, hey, dad, I'm home and I uh, just want to let you know I made it home safe. And he said, OK, he said, I'll uh, I'll see you soon. I said, OK, love you. Got off the phone and the guy I was dating at the time I had taught I was talking to him that night and I said, I don't know, something doesn't feel right. Uh, I'm worried about my dad. I don't know why it, something doesn't feel right, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Went to sleep like normal and I got a phone call at 4 a.m. from my stepmom. And I thought, okay, she's just butt dialing me. And uh, she calls me again immediately after. And I thought, okay, well, this can't be good. So as she's calling me, I got down on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, please don't let something happen to my dad. He just got home. I just spent this whole day with him. Please, God, you know, I'm begging him. Do not let this be something. And uh, I answered the phone and she said, Haley, your dad's been in a car accident. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she said, yeah, and he's dead. And I was like, no, they have the wrong guy. <laughs> I said, he just got back. It can't, can't be him. She said, the cops are at my house now and they brought his ID and it's him. <laughs> and I, uh, I immediately put my shoes on, my sock, my coat it was 4 a.m. and I drove all the way to Daleville to his house at 4 a.m. and it was him and this had nothing to do with alcohol. Nothing to do with alcohol. Drugs. Nothing to do with any drugs. Type. I want to make that clear to you out there, folks. Uh, don't know for sure. Did. They determined it was a health issue, but regardless, this had nothing to do with his previous addiction. No, and, you know, the people who knew that he battled with addiction, that was the first thing they thought. Of course, that's why I want folks out there to understand, yeah. uh-uh. 
And I said, no, there is zero percent chance that he was under the influence of anything because I was with him on Sunday. I was just with him and there he the headspace he was in was not that not that guy. And I said, there there is no way that he was under the influence of anything. And uh, come to find out he wasn't. They did a, um, they tested his blood. He had nothing in his blood. I think it, it <laughs> the crazy part is that he wrecked his car about a mile and a half from his house. They said that he had um, donuts and coffee in his car. He had actually went to the gas station that was east of his house and the car accident was west of his house. So on his way back from the gas station, they think he fell asleep at the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Haley, (laughs) (laughs) I've said since the first time I've heard this, this is just one of those unimaginable stories. And so was that day that you were given with him. I can't. How much would it cost me to buy that day from you? Oh, my gosh. I... I don't have enough, do I? <laughs> that that day, um, you know, at the time, I had no idea why my stepmom couldn't pick him up. I was mad. I was like, "You've got to be kidding me! Your your husband just came home from rehab, and you can't be there to pick him up." And little did I know that God did it that way. For how me. you needed that gift? Yeah. How you needed those moments? I can't imagine. Uh, Going that long, praying for him to be sober and not getting to see that. That leads us into this final question as we get ready to close here. The title of our podcast, Faith in Your Recovery. What does that mean to you as you share this story? You can't give up on God. God God has a bigger picture than than we can ever imagine. You see a lot of people struggle and you want to give up because it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I've never struggled personally. I've never been in struggled with addiction, but I've seen it and I know it's hard and it's hard for the person going through it. It's hard for the family that has to see it, but you cannot give up. 10 years of prayers were answered for 14 hours. You probably spent more time in prayer than those last moments you had, but I bet you'd do it again for the same outcome. And you must believe that would eventually happen, whether you could label it or not. But to stop, what if you just stop one prayer short and not been able to have that experience? Uh, I would pray for 20 years for six hours of my my sober dad. Wow. Haley, thank you. Uh, this is, you know, this is an incredible true story and the result from an incredible God. And it tells us a lot about you. I'm happy it happened <laughs> for you. Uh, yeah. This tears me apart every time I hear because of your pain. But the joy that awaited You know, the scriptures say that just, you know, joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you got that. Praise God. Thank you for being here. Uh, 
Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, what a privilege. And folks, we know that, you know, you may be in that dark spot or you may have a loved one who's there. But I think Haley's words are the best ones I could close with. Don't give up on God. Stay in the battle. Thank you. Amen.